Hi, I'm your host, Tom DeSavia. Join me as I interview guests for music and entertainment from around the world about what they're up to right now. Stay tuned, because we're gone in 30 minutes. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Gone in 30 Minutes. Uh, this is the easiest introduction I've had all season. Rock and roll legend, George Thorogood. Welcome, Mr. Thorogood. Thanks for joining us today, man. Legends. Boy, I'm Legends. liking you more and more. I'm liking you more all the time. What, what a handsome legend you are, Mr. Thorogood. You know, I was thinking about, since, since you said that, Tom, I was thinking about, <laughs> it's about Tom. I'm going to change my thing. This Lonesome George thing isn't getting me anywhere. There's not a blues guy called Handsome George. How about that? There's Homesick James and, and Buffalo Bill and Louisiana Slim and Mississippi Joe and Mississippi Fred. And you got it. They got all these, you know, Texas Fred and Texas Joe. I'm going to be Handsome George Thorogood. What do you think of that? You, you, you brought I, it up, not me. I'm in. I've given you a name. Do I get a cut? Absolutely. 1% of the okay, gross. Yeah. Never the net. The gross. Always the gross. Yeah, no, always the gross. Always the gross. Mm -hmm. We change is it become... Uh, uh, handsome George Thurgood and the dashing uh, gents. What do we call the boys? Um, the, the dashing, what, the dashing destroyers. What do I call them? Sometimes what do I we? couldn't repeat. I couldn't repeat some of the things <laughs> I call them. Okay. <laughs> well, what are you doing right now, buddy? What's going on right now? Right now, at this moment, I'm sitting with my sunglasses on, and a guy with a beard named Tom is talking to me. That's what I'm doing right now, <laughs> since you asked. And, you know, so. and, and in your greatest dreams, did you ever think, was everything just prelude leading up to this? My cup runneth over. Uh, you know. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay. Excellent. Well, I want to uh, get into a couple things we could. I mean, one, and it's funny, when I was prepping for this, uh, and, you know, around this is obviously the, the re-release, I should say, of Live in Boston, 82, that one, I didn't realize how badly I needed a live album right now. Man. Wow. I thought you were going to say, I didn't realize how bad you guys. <laughs> 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 I held my no, breath for a second, Tom. <laughs> it's like, uh, no, in all seriousness, it's like, that's the thing is like the last show I saw was in, I was on March 10th. I was in Nashville at the, at the, at the Ryman. And that was the last live show I saw. I didn't know it was the last live show I was going to see. And in the world we've been in, and we could get into that, it was just so great being able to dive into a live record on a band that had obviously been nonstop for, what, a year before that was recorded, just going, going, going on those songs. No, no. I, I, off and on, we, we, were, we were active, very active yeah. that year, um, but not nonstop. We just, we, uh, did some work in Europe with uh, the Rolling Stones and Jay Giles. Um, mm -hmm. And we had, um, we started, a, I think we, I, I don't know what time, time of the year that way. It might've been in the fall because we did some work in Canada and the States in the fall. So I, uh, I'm not sure what time of year it was. So uh, it was probably late in 82. Do you remember the show? Do you have that kind of recall? Well, I've done, we played there, we played there three times. So right. I, uh, I couldn't, we played on a 50-50 tour there once. We played there at least twice, maybe three times. Um, so it, it's a vivid memory in my mind, but I can't place which one was which. So well, bear with me. No, what struck me about that and listening to it, one, just 
a live show was just literally exactly what I personally needed right now to sort of bring back some happy memories that have that have become pretty distant now at this point. But it also brought back '82 for me, and what a big year that was. Do you do you remember like that transition? Because that was a huge year for you as an artist. You'd been a successful uh, touring act and album selling act at that time, but '82 was the year kind of broke open, right? Well, that was the year we we signed and put out our uh, our first album with uh, EMI America. We signed right. with with that label, so we signed with that label. Like again, like I said, we had some um, shows with the Rolling Stones and Jay Giles in front of massive audiences in, in Europe, um, and at the same time, we made our first. To this, and we shot another video in in uh, New Jersey with uh, Bo Diddley and Willie Moscone. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on. It was it was it was a pretty heavy year for us. So uh, uh, and like you say, things were new. I mean, MTV was in its infancy, really. I mean, it was just get, it started like in '81, I think. Yeah. So we were fortunate to get on in the early days. They were really looking for things. They were on 24 hours, and they they had more more time than product. So we said, "Well, here we are, <laughs> for better or worse." Well, and, and it was here. that well that whole MTV era was really interesting. So I look at it like a lot of bands didn't cross over to it. I always kind of refer to it as like the talkies, you know. And some some mm -hmm. stars did not cross over to talkies, and there was and you broke to a generation and a generation, you know, learned of John Lee Hooker through you. And then eventually Amos Milburn went backwards, but it was this really interesting time in music when I was, when I was just going back and sort of reading up on it. And, and I find like, it just sort of sent me back into that way back machine of going, wow, 1982 is a lot more interesting than I gave it credit for. And there was a lot more stuff well, happening in the, the world. Sorry. God. Well, yeah, I, I bet there's still stuff happening now. It's just that uh, we may not be aware of it as you get you get older and you get set in your ways and get busy and doing things. Um, you know, your ears don't pick up as many things. So there's probably a lot of stuff going on now, um, and there's going to be uh, a lot more coming out. I'm sure when the uh, when the when the virus thing is is uh, is is finally um, solved, when that happens, I, I believe you're going to hear a lot of stuff, not just from already established artists, but I think new people who are, you know, getting their thing together will, uh, I think you'll see something there. I think, I think a, a lot, a lot of, we're going to say a second baby boom too. I, I believe agree. that. I don't know if you saw a Fender put something out the other day that they've sold more guitars this year than they have in any year in their history. Mm. That well, bodes well. At the time and they have to stay home. Yeah, but that bodes Fender, well. What, I think what, hey, what, what about Epiphone? Hey, come on, let's go. Let's get with it. I know, I know. Let's put out your release Epiphone. We're calling for it now. Show us your numbers. <laughs> no, but going back to like I was saying, but back then, like now, I think it's actually a more uh, fertile time where you, if you, if you're interested in the type of music, a kid could go on and find anything they want. Literally, the the, the world is there for them to discover. In '82 yeah. again, to to just I just want to touch back on this a minute was. You heard what your buddies had or your friends had, and the only other way you, you got music was through live shows and then mm -hmm. getting on and by reading. It was really press driven. And so there were so many, and, and that time for me personally was huge uh, for Roots music for me.
seeing a band like the Blasters, seeing the Los Lobos, seeing X, seeing all these bands in the clubs, and finding their embrace of Bo Diddley and finding their embrace of of Chuck Berry, and it really brought it back to to a generation. And I think, and I, it was such a vital rock and roll time, and that's what this show just really felt celebratory to me in, in, in a really interesting time of cross-generational rock and roll. Well, that live record, there's a, because it's a, the whole concert, we already put one out called Live in Boston, but it wasn't the whole concert. It was just right. special songs picked. Now, in this particular project, as you said, there's a very vast variety of, of musical, um, musical sources, musical songs um, from all different people. Jimmy Reed, John Lee Hooker, Bo Diddley, um, and, and, and other artists as well. So um, if nothing else, th that, that album is, uh, touches a lot of bases with a lot of, a lot of artists that uh, we cut our teeth on. As you, you said, the, the world is different now. Maybe it's, it's good that people can get anything they can. Tick, 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 tick. Mm -hmm. um, but when we started, like, like around 1969, 70, 71, we got what you call uh, as obscure songs, songs no one ever heard of. And you had to do research for that. Kind of like a, I'm calling myself the Indiana Jones of rock and roll. So when they said kid can get anything these days, well, you couldn't then. You had to go find it. You had to go out there and really dig. And since I started out doing non-originals, um, the, the the pick material that it was quote unquote pretty obscure to the world, the pickings were slim. After the Rolling Stones hit and John Hammond and people like that, they uh, they got the cream of the crop as far as covering other artists. So we had to really get in there and say, well, there's some good songs here. Um, but that's nowadays I'll go and say, hey, I got this great song, man. I know nobody's ever heard it. I want to do it. And uh, someone will say, oh, yeah, my son was listening to that about 10 years ago. I'm like, oh, well, forget that then. Because <laughs> that was our expertise. That was what we really had took a lot of pride in. Is, is not just turning people onto the artists, but turning them onto these songs. Yeah, well, absolutely. Like I said, I remember, you know, through – learning, honestly, John Lee Hooker via you, but then via that, discovering Amos Milburn. And it's a, like this joy that it gets to send people on. It gets to send you down these these wonderful rabbit holes. And I don't think that stops. I just think what's what I like about now is the access is much easier. There is no way to hear that well, music. Well, the, the, the rabbit hole is still there. The, the rabbit hole is still there. It's just easier to find the rabbit hole. It's, right. The yeah. rabbit hole is very vast these days. Yeah, but you could, you could get like, I couldn't afford to listen to it back then because it meant going out and buying any of the records that were in print. I will bet, I would bet every, every dollar that's in your pocket right now. Yeah. I'll give you the Thurgood factor. <laughs> I would, if I brought up something, a song or an artist or something that I know exists, I'll bet you couldn't find it. Only for the fact that I'm asking for it. Because <laughs> that's, that's me. I'll go, hey, you know, like we have people in the organization. Hey, I can get anything on this thing. And I go, okay, get this. Oh, we couldn't find that. Wait a minute. You just said you could get everything. And I, you know, don't tell me that unless it's true. So that that happens to me uh, periodically. I said, and, and it's not the fault of anybody but me. If it was anybody else they were dealing with, you'd find it. But some of the stuff I look for and need to have, um, you know, people come up and say, you know, uh, you know, what can I do for you? And I go, really, you really mean that? Or they'll say, uh, yeah, um, how can I help you? I go, well, if you want to help me, I can make you very happy. Because <laughs> there's, there's, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, stuff like, you know, did you have any, uh, you know, do you have any, you know, 
you have any nude pictures of Bridget Bardot laying around? Uh, you got that? <laughs> you know, so, oh, we can't get you that. I said, well, okay. oh, oh, no, no, no. I guess you're right. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm hip to that. So if that's the case, I'm going to start looking for that because I, I do that sometimes with uh, movies, songs, yeah. and generally I come up empty. <laughs> so I went from MTV to empty TV. <laughs> <laughs> we all did. We all did. Well, it's look, segue in because we were, we were talking about it before we, we went live. But uh, one of the reasons we're doing this show, aside from them giving me a, someone to talk to because it's just me and my dog living alone. So I actually get to interact with people, which is nice. But is, uh, is, is talking to a lot of artists and trying to find this commonality of how we're dealing with this time. Because I think it's really important to build this community. You know, it's it's screw the American Idol culture of one person goes home with a prize. This has reminded everyone we're a community and the artists mm -hmm. are a community. And it's really easy to feel isolated for all of us, but especially one people that are itinerant, that you don't really have a sense of home in the classic way. You don't have a structured life home and all of a sudden everyone does. And I'm wondering how how is how is it going for you eight months in? To this thing how are you finding inspiration? you're referring you're referring to the uh pandemic that's out there that's limiting people to, oh, to people are yeah. limited and they have to really keep, keep yeah, to, to their quarters right that yeah. that hasn't really affected me very much tom um it's affecting because i'm sad about it i'm concerned about mm -hmm. it i'm scared about it that don't get me yeah. wrong here um but myself my own lifestyle it hasn't really been altered very much because I, I really i rarely went anywhere anyway i might right. like stay home and do my exercise play my guitar um, and I really try to limit the things I leave the house that are absolutely important. Going to the doctor or, a, a, mm -hmm. a, you know, business meetings we can do anywhere that people can right. do that pretty much. Um, but just I limit myself. I always have pretty much say, well, you know, my father used to have a sign inside his car. that says, is this trip necessary? <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was really tight with the gas and all that. But, you know, it kind of makes sense. So, no, it hasn't uh, unless. Our manager, Adam Condi, says, George, you have to leave. You have to go to Norway. Well, I'll go. But right. it's, uh, it's, it's either work or health reasons that I'll leave the house. But right. I got my temperature taken twice today, and it was real good. <laughs> Excellent. Are you, are you writing at all during this thing? Do you find the creative muse hitting you no. during this thing? Or? I, don't, uh, I don't. You know, there's some people that are just such great professional songwriters, uh, like mm -hmm. Paul McCartney or Joni Mitchell. So say sit down and write a song okay and they can do it well i'm not one of those people um uh something that a creative thing with me just has to come on to me like um i don't know like going to the bathroom or something oh something's coming out right. seeing it just and you never know when that's going to hit you right you know, at least i don't um so yeah spending a, a lot of time alone like that but uh for me to do something like that, you got I gotta really be alone, and I mean alone, alone. And then there's nothing. There's nothing in the, in the house with me and a guitar, and yeah. something you know might come up. And it, I'm not crossing it off the list if something like that might happen. Mm -hmm. And I go, well, why would I, I write a new song? What would I do with it? And it there's no albums anymore. Nobody's putting. <laughs> I mean, what what do you do with it now? I mean, I'm I'm, I'm in the dark here. What, you, if I had a new song, what would I do with it? It's well, I mean, look, I, my argument to that, and th these are the kind of conversations. You're going to argue with me? Oh, right now. What, are you going to hit me? Oh, good. I, I you can't reach you. Good to you. No, but uh, the music, the, the business keeps effing up, and the business keeps reinventing itself and trying to catch its own tail. 
but it, music has never in my lifetime lost its importance to mm -hmm. someone. It's never, mm -hmm. and I, I talk about this a lot on this show. It's like, look, I, I, my honest feeling, and I think I, sh I don't think this is unique, is music's sole biggest purpose is, is escapism for us. Everything yeah, else is noise. It lets it lets us escape our lives. Well, let's put it this way too: music is the most accessible thing in the world, mm -hmm. more than books, movies, television. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're in an elevator, you ever hear music? Yeah. You ever hear music when you're sitting in a dentist chair? Yes. When you're mm -hmm. stuck in traffic and you got to go, what do you do? You listen to music. So mm -hmm. it's it's around all the time. Um, people make and, babies listening to music. Absolutely. People and, have babies delivering babies with music. You see what I'm saying? So I think the more uh, um, accessible something is, um, if, if it got turned off, we'd really be in, in a state of shock, I believe, because yeah. it's so it's so part of our life. Like you say, they, no one, people can't live without it. Let's put it that way. It's, yeah. That's generally where it is. As far as the writing songs, I'd go, do, do you think Jumpin' Jack Flash is a great rock and roll song? Do I? Yes. Yes. A yes course. or no answer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know uh, I'm like, who, who says uh, no? <laughs> no? Nobody does. Okay. So that's one. Is is Rockin' Me Baby a rock classic? Right. Huh? Yes. Yes. Then why would I write a new song? Well, <laughs> there's, pl okay. there's plenty of great ones out there already. Let me ask you a question. See, unless you can at least match what's, no, they're never going to get beyond that. No one, no one has yet. They're still trying to get beyond it. But, when was the last time you didn't hear Rock, Rockin' Me Baby on the radio? When was the last right. time you didn't hear Jumpin' Jack Flash on the radio or Stairway to Heaven? Right. Um, because that's they're the greatest songs ever written. So right. well, so what's what's the point for me? I'll open yeah. for those bands, and I'll play Bo Diddley. How's that? All right, so let me throw, and I appreciate Fair enough, fair enough that I'm going to throw it back at you. I'm going to keep arguing with you, George. I appreciate you, you not defending your or uh, defining yourself as a songwriter, yet you've written that mm -hmm. are not they're clearly standards. You've written rock and roll standards. Well, my, I'm limited in that field. I don't have the, you know, like Paul McCartney could play any musical instrument, including yeah. ukulele. Um, right. Bob Dylan, he doesn't like people to say this, but he is a genius. I mean, there's just right. no getting around it. He doesn't want, like Hank Williams was a genius. Okay. Right. He, uh, everybody has their own particular genius. And I said, I'm limited anyway. So I'm a limited as a musician, as mm -hmm. a singer. Um, I can't do the things that my voice that Rod Stewart can do. He did show tunes. He liked three or four albums of show tunes. Right. So then, then when it comes to that, I go, well, you know, there was an actress who was retiring once and she retired and they said, um, she said, I'm retiring because there's nothing left for me to do. And people said, well, what do you think you are? Catherine Hepburn, Meryl Streep? She wasn't. But this person said, no, I'm stopping because I've done everything I can do. And now yeah. they're just going to start repeating myself. So uh, I'm kind of in that in that bag, but phone still rings for us to play live. So something something must go, something must be going right. And the songs, and this is again when I was listening to that record, the thing that struck me about the live record, not to keep going back to this, is it wasn't seeped in nostalgia for me. It's a rock and roll record, and it holds up as a rock and roll record. These songs that you wrote that you accidentally wrote when the muse hit that that were mm -hmm. you're why I didn't do this. You have more songs in the in the vernacular than than most, and mm -hmm. so, so when when during this time are you are you just kind of like all right I've, and this there's no wrong answer here, is the is the thing is like I've done that, I've contributed, and now mm -hmm. I'm sorry right. I do that is that yeah. the the thought yeah. yeah, 
Every every part every party needs a beer. That's where we come in. Okay. That's that's our contribution if you want to if you want to put it that way. <laughs> so what do you, are you are you playing guitar? Is it, what do you do to de-stress when you're home? Are you constantly playing guitar? Well, I have to live with it. I'm I have to live with the stress. I'm yeah. I'm single, so there's nowhere to I got a dog. It helps. Oh yeah, yeah. that's not. Um, I like I like them a little bit more taller. On the, I'm, I'm not into that. Um, God bless you. You know, in your own house, as long as the dog's happy. God bless the two of you. Live like you want to live, brother. You be you. You be you is what they say. Okay, so going through what the songs you play live. What are the songs? So when you're when you're doing what you've been doing, there's got to be some of those songs got to kind of sound like the dishwasher to you performing them night after night. What songs never get tired for you? What songs could you play till till you drop? There's no song that I've ever really gotten tired of. You have to understand, Tom. This is uh, pay close attention. When we recorded albums and we made uh, live songs live, we recorded those albums. They weren't for our our own purposes. They were for the fans. It's like a restaurant that you yep. have a menu, and you say, "Let's put this on the menu. Let's put this on the menu." And they'll say, "Well, what what's your favorite dish?" And I'll go, "Well." As long as they keep buying the hamburger, I'm going to keep making them. So the songs that we got out there are, are worth, that was the purpose they served. So as long right. as people like them, I like them even more because that's right. the whole purpose of the destroyers, especially when we made records. I'll say, you know, I'm not one of these cats that sits down and go, you know, I had a real tragedy and it was, you know, my, 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 my father passed away or something. So I wrote a song about it. No, I don't do that kind of thing. I, right. you know, pl pain I keep to myself. Pleasure I share with the world. So the songs, no, I don't. I don't get tired of them. I mean, that's why they hired us. <laughs> hey, everybody, we're playing live tonight, but we're not going to do Who Do You Love or Band to the Bone. Boom. Right. <laughs> you know, one time I got a one time I got a big response, and went, it was we were between albums, and I said, "All right, here we are, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, I'm going to tell you right off the bat here, we're not going to do any new material." Everybody, yes. I went, great, cancel my contract. Let's go. <laughs> when you when you signed, going back then, when you signed to a major, did the fans at the time freak out? Was there a, he sold out, he's, he's gone on to uh, EMI and MTV, or were the, the, the hardcore fans were finally embracing it? I'll put it to you this way, how people responded to that, how I responded if you take a guy who's filthy dirty and you take off his clothes and you put him in a tuxedo, he's still filthy dirty. All right. So, that, that, you know, I've, I've done everything I can to clean up my act. I'm, uh, you know, I've, I've given up. So, and no, it, it's selling out. The idea wasn't to sell out. The idea was to be able to sell more records. A rounder records had a very limited distrib distribution and people couldn't get the rounder records. I said, well, we have to make a move here. You know, we got a, a whole audience out there. So, George, we can't get your records. They had a, they had a mailing list. <laughs> and then wait two months for it on the mailing list. So um, that was the motivation. I said, well, if you get on this major, you know, uh, more people will hear your songs. So mm -hmm. it was like, like I said, having a, a restaurant and, and opening a whole new room in the back because you had more customers mm -hmm. coming. So um, I, I don't see that as selling out. Uh, I don't yeah. really no, I didn't know, know what that is. 
I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. know what that means. Right. Selling out to me would probably be quitting. Did the did the um, did the band have? Because you have arguably one of the great rock and roll Argu bands. Yes, all the time. Yes, yeah. arguments yeah. all the time. No, no, no. No, but I was going to say I was going to say I'm pulling your leg. I'm pulling your beard. Okay, <laughs> that would hurt. Arguably, you know, what in the in the in the era of um, Heartbreakers, East Street Band, the Destroyers are right up there as one of the great super type played together forever bands. Was going through the machinery. Was it? Was it tougher then when all of a sudden you're playing radio shows and having to just play one song on TV because you were you were a bar band, you were a great boogie rock bar band. How did that change? Like at the time, I'm trying to get people in the headspace of when this record came all out. Right, all right, I'll tell you what we did. We played bigger bars. Right. <laughs> that's that's how we got around that. You know, you can take Thoroughgood out of the bar, but you can't take the bar out of Thoroughgood. Um, <laughs> you know, it was the uh, it was it was the same band, so. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, some people say, I said, no, well, this is where we belong to begin with. You know, the reason we're with Rounder, with all due respect to them, I still have all the respect in the world for them, and I'm mm -hmm. thrilled to be back with them. But yep. at that time, when we got connected with them, they're the only label that said maybe. All the others said no. <laughs> then all of a sudden, we get a record out already in the charts, and then the phone starts ringing, and people saying, hey, we want you to sign with this label. I said, I'm already with the label. Where were you three years ago? <laughs> I said, don't the record executive go to the bars anymore? Don't they go play? They just, um, you know, it was just a whole different ball game. So after we toured with the Stones, the record major labels came around again the second time. Right. So I said, well, Georgie, some people get the brass ring once in life. Nobody gets the brass ring twice in life. You better grab it. Yeah. If that's selling out, then I don't know. I don't know. No, it's great. I mean, it's it brought it again. It's. I'm wondering just how the fans reacted back then, but to us, it brought brought you into our living rooms and it brought this music into our living rooms in a way that wouldn't have come otherwise. Okay, who who footed the bill for our, one of our first um, MTV projects, the, the video band of the bone? EMI fitted the bill. EMI America, right. they fitted the bill. And we couldn't afford to do that ourselves and they could round her. Now through that, we got Bo Diddley on it and Bo Diddley got a part in the movie Trading Places. See, I made the video thinking, I could get a part in a movie. I was ready for James yeah. Coburn to retire and Lee Marvin to retire so I could get into the movie. So who gets who gets the movie deal? Bo Diddley, not me. <laughs> Perfect. Well, it's funny. Well, I was happy for him. No, it's good. So that may have never happened. You know, right. it could have happened. It might have happened anyway. Who knows? Two people I was talking to while I was setting this up. One is a, a chap named Matt Nathanson, who is, um, when I told him I was seeing it, he literally said, Holy shit, I saw him at the Performing Arts Center in Rhode Island, and it was either, I don't know if it was 84, 85, but it was literally like, changed my life. And then I was talking to John Doe from the band X, you might know, who just said uh, he was playing for a long time. He was working Who Do You Love into one of his tunes. And he goes, but enough people kept coming up to me going like, you're playing that Thoroughgood song. It's amazing. It's great. You're playing the Thurgood song. And that's what I mean. It's become that thing where they, they, these songs have become interchangeable and through genre and just, I don't know. It's a, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, man. Beautiful thing. How much it's touched a lot of different. That artists. song came this close to not making it on a record. We, we got, we ran out of material. We needed a couple more, more songs and rounder was hot for that one. And I said, right. I don't want to do, do this song. I think it's been done a thousand times. We, what you want to hear, what you want to hear is there's a version of, um, of Who Do You Love on, on one of John Hammond's records 
where he has the band with him, Robbie Robertson. He has, uh, uh, I think, um, Charlie Musselwhite's on it and uh, Mike Bloomfield. That's the definitive version of it. Um, okay. So that's pretty much what I was just doing was copying that version. I didn't think it would go anywhere. I just put it on the records. It's like we will forfeit the game if we don't put nine people on the field. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's that's how it that's how it made it on the record. So when people come and say, "Oh, well, wait," but it did put put some money in Bo Diddley's pocket, so something good came out of it. And, and your friend, people. like your friend, your friend dug it. And, you know, it's funny because uh, amusing to me because one of the first songs ever released in rock and roll about 54, 55 was Bo Diddley by Bo Diddley. So about 1970, 71, when I was putting my guitar together, everybody in our neighborhood was very hung up on technique and charts and all this kind of thing. And, you know, I'd bang away on John Lee Hooker, Bo Diddley, basically one chord. And it's like, George, you're never going to get anywhere with that one chord stuff, with that Bo Diddley stuff. And I started thinking, ha ha, who do you love is still on the radio today. <laughs> Bo Diddley's beat still lives. May not be by him, but it's still. So don't tell me, because the Bo Diddley beat is is in every song. You ever listen to Magic Bus? Yeah. You ever yes. listen to the middle? You ever listen to the middle of um, Magic Carpet Ride? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you ever yeah. listen to Sympathy for the Devil? Sure have. Okay. I, I rest my case. Bo <laughs> Diddley is everywhere. So and you've won. The, you've won the argument. Well, it's in my. <laughs> Well, I don't argue with people about it because I rarely get to talk to people, period. Right. And when I do, I try not to argue with them. You're done good. Well, they, they, like I told you, this is going to be super easy. We've run out of time. That's 30 minutes. I got one last question for you. Um, Dodgers, Dodgers uh, of Tampa Bay. Go Mets. <laughs> the diplomat has answered. George, seriously, thanks for taking the time, man. I mean, I really mean this, and uh, I know you're with, with a big company, but I, on a personal level, and I mean this sincerely, Tom, I hope you and your dog are very happy together. <laughs> Seriously. Thanks, George. I do Adios. appreciate it, man. See you, buddy. This show was presented by Craft Recordings. Thanks for joining us for Gone in 30 Minutes, produced by Laura Saez. I'm your host, Tom, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>